Good morning. Uh, thank you for again for being here with us today. Um, yesterday, uh, as if you were here for the announcements, you heard um, you mentioned that we had a, a burial service for um, one of our our brothers um, who joined the church glorious, um, triumphant. As um, Pico Kim went home to be with the Lord a couple weeks back, and as I was there at that service, I think I, as well as maybe um, a lot of us who are there. And of our minds, uh, thoughts gravitated towards uh, thinking about eternity and thinking about heaven. I know mine did, and, and throughout the past couple of weeks, several times, um, I've thought about what uh, heaven was going to be like. Um, I'd imagine that some of us also have been thinking along those lines and, and dreaming along those lines. And um, I would gladly give a penny for every thought that you had about heaven, because I'd be very interested to hear what our understanding of, uh, of heaven is. I think if I were to ask all of us in here, uh, w- how many of you want to be in heaven, would like to be in heaven when you die? I think all of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, I want to be in heaven. That's a silly question, right? Because compared to the alternative, it's so much better to be in heaven. If I were to ask a, a follow-up question, though, and say, hey, if you could be in heaven tomorrow, like a bus is, is going to heaven tomorrow, and we're taking people on uh, there's a bunch of empty seats for, for all of us to go. If you want to go to heaven tomorrow, I'm not sure how many of us would be so eager to go. And I wonder why that is. Uh, I, I wonder because I, I remember singing this song when I was uh, in, in high school at my church. Uh, you might have sang it before. It goes, Jesus is coming back to stay could be any time of day. Jesus is coming back, I know, because the Holy Spirit told me so. Uh, anyone sing this song? Okay. Um, and I remember would, we would sing this song. We'd sing it really loud. Um, and I had a, a, a youth pastor at the time. And after we would sing that song, he would get up to, to share the word, and he would say something like, I don't want Jesus to come back yet because I'm not married and I want to get married. I want to experience all of that joy. And we would all laugh at him and say, ah, ha, 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 that's so funny. But I wonder, thinking back to it now, if there was some truth to what he was saying. Is it possible that we don't long for heaven because we don't really understand how glorious heaven is going to be? And is it possible that the reason why we want to delay the second coming of Jesus and delay our, our entrance into heaven is because we don't really think it's all that great? Could it be that the teaching that we've received about heaven from books or from angels and demons or from wherever it is that we've read um, hasn't really painted an adequate picture of our eternal home for those who believe in Jesus Christ? Isaac Asimov, he's a science fiction writer. This is what he said. He said, for all of the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be far worse. And I think many times we have that kind of an understanding of heaven like what in the world is it going to be like it's going to be so boring we're going to be in this like sister at choir we're just going to be singing songs for like all eternity what does the eternity even look like like it's not just like a hundred years a thousand years a million years but it keeps on going on and on and on and and maybe that, that's what some of us, the pictures that some of us have of, of heaven is maybe others of us is like the, the picture that we always see oh my gosh I'm going to be playing a harp For the rest of my life. And I'm going to be wearing diapers. 
and I'm going to be, be chubby. I mean, at least, at least give me a, a better body. At least give me a guitar. Give me something cool. But a harp and diapers, that's not quite going to cut it. I think there's, there's something missing because when we read the, 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 uh, throughout the New Testament and the longing that the people of God had for heaven, it was something so much different than uh, the longing or the lack of longing that we see in so many people today. And so how do we describe, how do the Bible writers describe heaven? What is it that we've been missing that we need to see in order for us to live the way with expectancy, with anticipation, the way that the, the, the readers of Scripture and the writers of Scripture live with? I want to read from uh, Revelation chapter 21. Um, just read five verses here. And it's, it's fascinating because in 1 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul writes that um, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has ever begun to conceive the glorious things that God has prepared for the people. And yet in, in Revelation 21, uh, John is trying to write this picture, paint this picture of what heaven is, trying to paint the in, unpaintable, trying to describe the indescribable. It's like if someone de- once described it and saying, like, if you were to explain to people a thousand years ago what an airplane would be like. Trying to explain that it's a big bird that carries people, a big metallic bird that carries people. Trying to explain these things. It's trying to explain uh, orange to a person who's never seen before. Trying to do sign language about the, the beautiful sound of a symphony to someone who's, uh, who's got deaf ears. It's trying to describe the indescribable and yet in a way that, that, that just pictures a glimpse of what it looks like. He tries in, in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And this is what God's word says. Um, this revelation was given to the apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is God's word, and it it goes on throughout the rest of this chapter, and then the next chapter describes the beauty of the city of God. But as we talk about as we talk about heaven here, I just want to invite us to imagine again, along with the, the writers of Scripture, what heaven really looks like, um, as opposed to the views that we have of this like boring place to go and there's nothing, it's just going to be terrible, and if all my buddies are going to be in hell, I'd rather be there, and all this stuff that we hear people say, uh, to, to envision and to imagine and to dream of, of what heaven could be like. Uh, and according to this, I, I just want to pull out three things. One, I want to talk about what's not in heaven. And two, I want to talk about what's new in heaven. And then last thing I want to say is what is the best thing about heaven? And as we do, I pray that it would stir up a longing in your heart for our home eternal for those who believe. But the first thing is what's not going to be in heaven? You remember John, he's writing this revelation. He basically, they tried to get rid of him. They tried to kill him and, and all these things. They, they tried to, to drown him in burning oil, but he couldn't. He wouldn't die. So they just sent him off to an island, exiled on this island of Patmos. And as he's there, 
Uh, he has this vision, this revelation that God gives him, that he writes down in these 22 chapters here in the book of Revelation. But as he's there on the island of, of, of Patmos, uh, he's, he's in exile, the first thing he sees, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The first thing that we see that there will not be in heaven is that there will be no sea. Like, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal. In those days, it meant a whole lot more when he says there will no longer be any sea. People who are reading it in those days, 100 AD, they're like, this is, so, this is a place I want to be. Because in, in their understanding of the sea, you read this in Revelation 13 also, there, there's a, a beast that comes out of the sea. Their understanding of the sea is that this was a place of mystery. It was a dark place. It was a dangerous place. It was a scary place. And whenever someone thought of the sea in the time that John was writing, they thought of fear. They thought of terror. They thought of horror. Uh, when we're in Ecuador, a missionary uh, uh, named Chris Hoskins and I were walking uh, through deep into the, the jungles of the Amazon. We saw this group of people who were digging for gold in, uh, in kind of like the swampy area. And they were basically telling us that in the river, in the sea, there are a bunch of sea monsters that live there and they eat people up. And they say, you shouldn't go. That's why you shouldn't go into the sea. That's a kind of that's a kind of picture that they have in that the deep jungles of, of the Amazon of Ecuador. That's their view of the sea. And that's the kind of the picture that the people in, in, in John's day had of the sea was that there are things there that you don't want to go in there. Like the, the Sea of Galilee with all of this turbulence and all of this turmoil and all of this fear and all this danger. And the first thing then the revelation that John sees about heaven is that in the new heaven and the earth, there's no more sea. There's no more danger. There's no more fear. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. All of the things that torment your soul is no longer going to be there. Not only did the sea mean danger, but the other thing that it meant, especially as John is sitting here writing in this island, is that the sea is what separated him from every other relationship, from every human relationship. It's the sea that divides continents. It's the sea that creates countries and nations and islands. He's saying, in that place, there will be no division amongst people anymore. In that place, our relationships with one another will be complete and they'll be pure and they'll be perfect. There'll be nothing that divides us, no fear that divides us, no animosity, no hatred. All of these things will be gone and we'll be living in complete and perfect harmony and community with each other. He says, in that place, there will be no more sea. There's no danger. There's no division. There's no destruction in that place. As, I, as I'm thinking about this, this is the kind of place that I want to be. It's the kind of place that I want to be. And I hope that's the kind of place that you want to be because that's not what we see in this life. That's not what we see on this earth. In this earth, there's danger, there's division, there's destruction, there's death. There's all kinds of things like this. But he goes on and says, what else there isn't in verse 4? says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It says he will wipe every tear uh, from their eyes. No more crying. I thought um, this week about what is it that makes people cry? What is it that makes me cry? I thought about some movies that have made me cry. Think about movies like A Beautiful Mind. I'm sorry, not a beautiful mind. Life is beautiful. Beautiful mind, weird. Uh, life is beautiful. Um, I am Sam. Letters from God. 
I think of movies that didn't make me cry but may make you cry. Titanic. A Walk to Remember. Bambi. Godzilla. Some of y'all cry when you watch movies like these. But what is it about these movies that make us cry, that move us to tears? Granted, there are some tears, movies that make us cry because of joy and out of gratitude and out of the beauty of life. But there are other movies that make us cry because of the fallenness and the brokenness of life on planet Earth. You know what I'm talking about. When children get snatched from your arms. When life is taken far too soon, according to our estimation. When people get sick and die, when people who shouldn't experience pain, experience pain. When crippling illness takes the life of someone that you love. When, when, when bad things happen to little children. Loss, pain, sickness, death. These things cause us to cry. Because there's a, there's a, 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 a longing in our heart that knows that this isn't the way life is supposed to be. It's not the way that life is supposed to be. When we see injustice, when we see brokenness, when we see pain. Things like this make us cry and they move us to tears. And what the author of Revelation is saying is that one day he will wipe every tear from the eyes of everyone who's there. I, I, I think this is like such an, a powerful image. If you've ever had tears wiped from your eyes, maybe not you, but maybe you've done that to somebody else. And a lot of times our, our daughter, Manny, starts crying. The only thing that can console the inconsolable child is her mom. And the sight of her mom being there, it just brings her a comfort and brings her a peace. And, and there'll be times where, where Manny will be crying for whatever reason, because for her, it's the end of the world. Because she has scraped her leg and, and she's got a little bruise there or she's starting to bleed or something like that. Or because she can't find her, her little stuffed animal dog and she's going crazy crying out for her, her mung mung. Or because she um, wants to play really badly, wants to play with, with daddy's iPad, but daddy won't let her play with it. And she starts crying. In that moment, it's the end of the world for her. And she starts crying and then she runs to her mom and her mom picks her up and Olivia picks her up and she sees the tears and she wipes the tears off of her cheeks. And then Manny, all of a, as soon as she does that, life is, is good and normal and all that is wrong is made right again. And she puts her head down on her mom's shoulder and she realizes that this is where I want to be. Everything that is wrong in that moment when my tears have been wiped away has been made right all over again. And when John is writing, he says, there will be no more crying when we get to the other side. Because everything that causes crying, everything that causes us to cry, no mourning, no death, no, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. When we get to that other side, when we get to the other side, we get to our, our heavenly home. That's what it's going to be like. Think every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more Ability for us to shed those tears because all the things that produce those things in us, that cause those things in us, will no longer be. That's the kind of world that I want to be part of. That's the kind of place I want to be. And it may not be the kind of place that they talk about, that they show in pictures of heaven, but that's what the Bible says heaven is going to be like. All these things that there will no longer be ought to cause in us a longing for us to be in that place because it's not what we see in this life. But I think we know this because we sung, uh, sang songs about this all the time. I know weeping, no mourning, and all of these things. I think we understand this, but let's keep moving and talk about what's going to be new when we get to that place. 
in verse 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The picture that the Bible paints of heaven is not just we're going to be up there in some spiritual realm, but everything that is up there is going to come down here. And all that is in this broken world is going to be made new again. The new heavens and the new earth. We're not going to be floating around as some disembodied spirits. We're going to have our, just as the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a physical thing that people could touch. It is a precursor that all of our bodies are going to be physical bodies with a perfected spirit, with a perfected body. Be living in a new heaven and a new earth. And the new Jerusalem is coming down and is going to take its place. And we're going to live in this city. And I think about this new Jerusalem, this, this idea of the new Jerusalem. I think about cities here in the States. In the West Coast, uh, our, our cities are named after Spanish things, right? San Francisco, San Diego, San Jose, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Um, all of these things are, are, are Spanish. In the East Coast, however, all of these things are named after British colonies or British cities, English things. That's why you have in the upper, in the, in the Northwest area, you've got New England. And then you've got New York and New Hampshire and New Jersey and New Brunswick and New Haven. Because they're thinking of all these cities that were in England and all of the good things about them. But they're making them new because they want to redeem everything about that which was broken in the old world. But as we bring them forward to our life, as we bring them forward to our home, to our country, we want to take what's good and keep it. But we want to redeem everything that is broken and make all this new that it could be so much better. And what John is saying here and what God is telling us is that there is going to be a new Jerusalem. We love going to the cities. Why? Why is it that people want to move to the city? It's it's pretty simple because the city we think is hip. We think it's happening. We think it's where all the cool people hang out. There are tons of people who go to the city, all the movers, all the shakers. Everything about culture is centered in the city. You've got sports. You've got art. You've got music, you've got concerts, you've got food. The best food in the world is located in the, in the cities. That's what people say. So people want to go there because everything beautiful about culture starts there and then it spreads out to the suburbs. But the city is where it's all happening. Why don't people move into the city? For the same reason, because there's too many people. It's dangerous. There's crime. There's poverty. In the, for the same reason that, the, that cities create this utopia of rich and poor, of people from every uh, ethnic group located in the city, for the same reason, that's why people don't want to go in the city. Because those people oftentimes are the ones that make life difficult, according to some. There's pollution, there's crime, there's all this stuff. And what God is saying when he says this is a new city, he doesn't say it's a new suburb that's coming. He doesn't say it's a new country. That it's, it's a new city. And then in chapter 22, it talks about the beauty of this city with all of the the roads and all of the walls. And in the middle, there's a garden, just like New York City, Central Park, right in the middle. All the beauty of this surrounded by the city. And God says, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, it's going to be redeemed. In the the middle of the garden, in the city, there's going to be a garden. It's going to be beautiful because we're made for beauty. That's why when we go to Tampa, one of the things we do is we paint people's homes that are falling apart because they look at their home. We were made for creativity. We were made for beauty. And every time we see a, a, something that's beautiful in this life, it is a, it's a foreshadowing of the beauty of the creator because we're made with the imprint of the maker in our lives, in our hearts. And the home that we're going to live in is so architecturally beautiful. It's going to have different stones and different colors and all this stuff. 
Because that's what we were made for. We're made for beauty. We're made for art. We're made for all of these things. And what he's saying is that everything beautiful about the present day cities that you live in is going to be there, but it's going to be redeemed so that there won't be any crime. There will, all of the good things will be there, but all the bad things will be taken away. It's a new city that's coming and you're going to live there. And in this city, there's no fences separating people from one another. In this city, there will be no locks on your doors. There'll be no security companies. There's going to be no cops. And maybe there'll be cops, but they'll, all they'll do is eat donuts and they'll share donuts with us. But they won't be fighting crime because there will be no more crime. In the city, this is what he's talking about. That there's no division. Again, there's, there's people just all coming together as, as a community of, of, of those who've been redeemed and singing and celebrating the beauty of what it's like to be in that place. Saying this is the city that's coming. It's not going to be some boring place where we're just kind of like in heaven and, 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 and clouds and, oh, my God, oh, it's a serocumulus. Oh, there's a stratus. Beautiful. That's not what heaven is like. That's hell. That's not the Bible. The Bible says a new heaven, a new earth is coming. There's a new Jerusalem that's coming. We're going to live in this place where everything beautiful about culture has been redeemed. It says this is your new Jerusalem. And, and there's going to be... In verse 5, he says, he was seated on the throne. He said, I am making everything new. That when we get to this place, we're going to have new bodies, redeemed bodies. I remember uh, I used to hear preachers saying all the time, hey, when you get to heaven, our bodies are going to be perfect. No more sickness, no more illness, no more tumors, no more cancer, no more uh, joint pain, no more arthritis, no more uh, skin issues. You'll be able to dunk a basketball. And I was like, "Uh, that's not much different. I'm just kidding. But... (laughs) If you think about it, we have new bodies. And when I think about, when I think about all that's going to be new, and let me, let me read, I, this is beautiful. This, Tim Keller writes this about Johnny Erickson Tata in, in one of his new books called The King's Cross. She, I, I've talked about her before. When she was 17 years old, she, she went diving into a, into a lake into a pond and, and she hit her head on the bottom and she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down, couldn't feel anything confined to a wheelchair and she would say like how, how awful life was. And she would talk about how the worst thing about being uh, paralyzed is that I can't even move my hands to commit suicide. That's how, that's how trapped she was in her body. And as she was trying to make sense of all this stuff, she went, um, she was confined to a wheelchair and, and she would go to church and, and just ask God, why is this happening? And she would ask him all of these questions. And she said that she was at this conference one time. This like worship gathering. And she said she felt uh, the, 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 the effects of her paralysis in a, in a way that she's never felt at that time. Said as they were in this place, in this conference worshiping, the worship leader, the speaker said, if we could all get down on our knees now and just pray to God. And everyone got down on their knees but her. And being in a wheelchair, not only did she stand out for not kneeling, but she was uh, taller than everybody else at that point. And she was uh, sitting in that place. And she said, in that place, um, I began to cry. Said, not, not, let me read what she said. Not tears of self-pity, but tears because of the sight of hundreds of people on their knees before God was so beautiful. It was a picture of heaven. And I continued weeping at another thought. Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven I will be free to jump up, dance, kick, and do aerobics. And the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees 
I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. And I with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, twisted knees, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. That's our hope, people of God, that will one day be, that one day, one day, he will restore everything that sin has taken from our lives. And one day he will replay the thousands of symphonies that have fallen on deaf ears. And one day he will paint a million sunsets that have been, that have been blinded to eyes that could not see. And one day he will restore everything that was lost and everything that was broken and everything that has been taken by the effects of sin. And he's going to restore all that. And he will make everything new in us. Those who've never jumped before will jump for joy. Those who've never danced before will dance an undignified dance. Those who've never done these things on earth will one day be able to do them in the new heavens and the new earth. He's saying, this is our home. This is the home of those who believe in him. The last thing that we see as I think about, as we think about all of these things, that's not even the best thing about heaven. We haven't even gotten to that place yet. I was thinking this week, I got an email from, from Vaughn Pack. His, uh, he's the father of, of, uh, of Victor, who two years ago passed away um, because, of, because of cancer. And he was sending an email as he'd been following what had been going on with, uh, with Tico. And he just, he just wrote this email of condolences and sympathy. And, and the last line that he wrote said, I'm sure that Victor was there to greet Tico as he entered into heaven. And I was thinking about what that would be like. I was thinking about what that would be like when, when we get to that side and, and, and we see uh, Tico. And I was just kind of imagining and playing out in my mind a bunch of different scenarios of what that would look like. I think, you know, he would have that same big smile on his face and, and that same excitement and he would welcome us in and he would give us a big hug and, and then he would be so eager to show us the things that he's seen there. I don't know what exactly it's going to look like. But I think about what that day is going to be like. I think about what it's going to be like when we see our loved ones, when we see people like Victor, when you see loved ones who've gone before you. When you see uh, those people that you never knew who are praying for you. Or when you see people face to face and, and, and we, we stand in that place of, of beauty where there's no more division where there's no more sin dividing us one from another. We think about the people that we never imagined would ever be there in that place, and they're there, and we're just celebrating with them in glory. We think about people that, that we saw in, in Ecuador that, that never gave their lives to Christ in that moment, but then we see them there, and, and we see them with, with, with just huge smiles on their faces because they realize they're realizing what, what, what we talked about, what we went to the mission field for was real and was true, and they're realizing, they're seeing that, and, and they're celebrating, they're, they're, they're thanking us for what we did in, in giving ourselves to them. See people from the Dominican Republic. You see people in North Korea, people at the bakery that you visited, that you see there, and, and they're there in, in glory. You see people that you never knew even gave their lives to Jesus, people that, that went on before you, and you're like, I hope, and I hope, and I hope, but you just don't know, and, and when you get there, you see them. 
And I think about the glory that's going to be there. I think about the reward that's going to be there. I think about the beauty as we walk the streets of gold. But even that doesn't even pale. That pales in comparison with the greatest thing. When we, when we with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see, will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. I think this is the best thing about heaven, guys. When we see our Jesus face to face, and we see that everything that we did in this life, all the sacrifice and all the times we felt like we were a kernel of wheat that fell to the ground and died, we get to that place, we're going to see that it was all worth it. That there's no longer any need to hold on a little bit longer. No longer any need for us to to just cling a little bit more and it's all going to be done. And he's going to be the one that's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. And we stand before him and we hold his nail-pierced hands and we see the one who died for us. This is why we live. This is what heaven is all about. It's not about all these things that when I come home from, from, from work or come home from a meeting and, and I see my daughter, Manny, or I see Olivia. And and sometimes I, the other day I brought home a bag. It said four rivers on it. And Olivia's like, what's in the bag? I was like, oh, it's just some books that I brought home to read. Like, oh, well, sometimes I, I bring home some food for her leftovers from lunch or something, or bring a little something home, bring home an iPad and Manny comes running to it. And, and they love the fact that I'm home because I can give them these things. But if I were to ever say one day, hey, here's my iPad, here's the food, here is Four Rivers, and, and here's a gift that I got for you. You can have it all you want, um, but I won't be coming this way anymore. You think they'd be satisfied with that? And when we get to the other side, we get to heaven. God is going to have all of these things that he gives to us. But if he's not there, guys, then I'd rather not be there. If he's not there, then what point is there for us to be there? Because he's a reason we live. And at the end of the book of Revelation, in verse 20 of chapter 22, as he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And the response of John was, amen, come, Lord Jesus. And the last note of the Bible says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. How can we get to that place? I think the note from beginning to end of the Bible is that there is a outpouring of grace to the undeserving that we don't get to heaven because we're good, guys. We don't get to heaven because we've been to church or because the last 10 years of our lives we cleaned up ourselves and we went to church every day. That's not why we're in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus Christ was crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem. He was crucified outside the city, taking our sin upon himself. He was rejected from the city so that we could be brought into the new Jerusalem, so that we could be brought into the new city of God. It's not by anything that we can do, but it's only because of grace, and grace drips from the pages of Scripture from the beginning to the end. And the last note that we find is it's only by grace. And when we get to that place, guys, we'll realize 
that it's so not about us. It's so not about us. What could we have ever done to deserve what we see on the other side? Realize that it was sheer, utter, total, amazing grace. And we'll be so shocked that we could stand in that place at all. As we respond to the word of the Lord, guys, I want to really encourage you to think through what our eternal home will be like. We sing, we hear, we read about so many different images and so many different pictures. Speculation is one thing. Revelation is what really matters. And what we see is a picture, a foreshadowing. C.S. Lewis says, when we get to heaven... Every day is going to be better and better and better than the day before. We get to the other side, we'll realize that all that we've lived is just a cover in the title page of the great story that's yet to be seen. And the joy of diving into the infinite beauty that is Jesus Christ and knowing him and the ecstasy and the excitement of that place only gets better and better as the days goes on, never gets boring, never gets trite, never gets old. But we will live in that kind of glory, knowing and loving the inexhaustible riches of the love of God in us. Let's pray to the Lord Jesus that we would long for heaven in such a way that it would make us so vigilant on earth. The more heavenly-minded we are, guys, the more good we will be on earth. The more we set our sights on heaven, the more of an impact we'll make on earth. The more our gaze is latched upon heaven, the more we will seek to bring heaven to this earth. So let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to love you. I want to know you. I want to embrace you. I long for more of you in my life. Let's pray for just a couple moments together and asking the Lord God, help me to love you. Help me to long for you. Maybe if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, that would be a good time just to pray, God, I open my heart to you. Come and be the forgiver of all of my wrongs. I know that I can't get to heaven and have life apart from you. Would you come and be my Savior? Take me to where I need to, to be. Let's pray together for a couple moments. Let's pray as we respond to his word. Father in heaven, thank you that though no eye has seen and no mind has heard and no, mind, no 
ear has heard and no mind has ever begun to conceive the glorious things that you've prepared for those who love you. Thank you that you've given us a glimpse that gives us enough of a picture to begin with. And to know that this is a place that we long to be. It's not just going to be a place that's free of all of these things that is bad on earth, but it's going to be a place that's full of all of the good things of earth, all of the good treasures of earth, all of the good things, the things that were there in the garden before we even began to live in this broken world of sin. There will be work and it will be a joy. There will be worship and it will be glad. There will be relationships with each other. We will love one another deeply. And rising up through all that will be the beauty and the joy when we lay our crowns down before you, Jesus. We see the author and the perfecter, the alpha and the omega, the beautiful one. Give us a glimpse of yourself. Satisfy us with you, Jesus, so that we would always long for more of you, always long for more of your beauty. We thank you. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.